Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Better Events Podcast. This week, you're going to learn a little bit more about me, Logan Clements. Uh, we're going to sh- jump into some questions that we get. I'll share a little bit about my background, a couple of fun facts as well. And as always, we end with our bonus tip. Before we get into the episode, I do want to remind you, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, feel free to share this episode or this podcast with anyone you think would benefit from it. And if you really love it, we would love if you could leave us a review. Five-star reviews are great, but we also just want to hear from you. What are you liking about this episode? So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend better events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. All right. Well, welcome everyone to the Better Events podcast again this week. Thank you so much for joining us. We are super excited about our topic. Once again, we had a fun idea to deep dive a little bit more into who we are as co-hosts. So as a reminder, I'm Mary Davidson, one of your co-hosts, and I am joined by Logan Clements, our other co-host. And we are just super excited to deep dive into Logan today. So we are going to learn all about her and how she came into events and learn more about her business as well. Um, We thought that this would be a really important topic to talk about today because we kind of mentioned things about ourselves throughout the episodes, but to be able to really explain who we are and have the opportunity for those who'd like to listen, I think is an important opportunity. And so excited to hear what Logan has to say today. But before we get into it, um, Logan, feel free and tell us anything that is on your mind or your heart today, but also what's something exciting that you have coming up? Yeah, thanks, Mary. So excited to, to be here, a little nervous being in the hot seat. I think it's it's fun to be the one asking the questions. <laughs> um, yeah, something exciting coming up. I just got a new project that's going to bring me to New York at the end of August, which I'm super excited for. Um, and so I'm originally from the East coast. I'm was born, not born, but raised in Philadelphia. And so it's going to be really nice to go back for both a work project and then get to see all of my family is still East coast based. So, and it's an in-person event, which I think I'm just like slowly as I get back into it. Um, it's, it's exciting. How about you? What's something exciting that you have coming up? Oh, I, um, have an event that so some events that I do I kind of start maybe I don't know an average of three months before an event but I have one that's coming up that I've been working on since the beginning of the year and so I'm just really excited to have that culminating moment of that event if that makes sense and so I'm going to be excited um, when that one's done in a good way, just because there's yeah. been so much work that's been put into it up until this point. So I'm going to be excited. That event um, is in September, but it's very much on my mind right now. I'm so excited for that. Okay. So we are going to deep dive into it now, like I said. So Logan, we're excited to share hear everything that you have to share with us, but we're going to start just back from the very beginning. So when you were a kid... What did you want to be when you grew up? Because I have a feeling that that might have something to do with what you're doing now. 
Yeah, I I I think that the the evolution of what I wanted to be like when I was like five or six, so I'm told because I don't remember this. I wanted to grow up to be a princess. When I I literally that was when I watched a lot of Disney movies, and I thought that was a very you know a reasonable career for a girl to get into. I thought I could be a princess, and then I discovered sports, <laughs> and I went from a girl who always wore dresses. Uh, to to then becoming a big tomboy and really, really, really liking sports. And so I wanted to then be a professional soccer player that then evolved into being wanting to be a professional basketball player because I saw Lisa Leslie and I wanted to be just like her. And my sports endeavors kind of constantly involved. And so I just always wanted to be a professional athlete. And then as I realized that athletic careers don't last that long, I think I wanted to be a sports announcer on ESPN. So I wanted to be not just someone who was, I wanted to be a sideline reporter, but then eventually I wanted to be like an actual announcer who who calls games. But I get told all the time that to remember that I wanted to be a princess when I was six. I love that. That is not at all what I was expecting you to say. <laughs> and it's amazing. And it makes sense. I like, I like how that's transitioned. And it also sounds like, what you wanted is actually super close to kind of what you're doing in a different way. So I'm going to, I'll of course let you talk about that. But first, what are three things that we should know about you? Yeah. So I kind of took this on a, on a macro level, but I feel like a lot of what you can boil down to what you need to know about me is it comes down to sports, events, and China. And I, I, I feel like I could break down more about each specific one. Um, but those are kind of my three niches, both professionally as well as personally about things that I get excited about and nerd out. So um, I feel like we're yeah. going to dive into it more as we keep going. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, knowing Logan, I can kind of see how this is all coming together. And so I'm excited for you all to learn more about that too. But um, before we do, I would love for you to share with where you are currently right now as we are recording this episode, because I also feel like it's super relevant to what we're discussing. So tell us, what are you doing right now? Where are you? We buried the lead a little bit. Yeah, I'm in Tokyo, Japan right now. So I'm, I'm coming to you from the future. Mary and I, we're like 16 hours apart. So I, Mary, you'll have pancakes for breakfast tomorrow. Probably Ooh. not, but I'll, maybe mm. I'll you know, plant the seed. Um, but yes, I'm in Tokyo, Japan for the Summer Olympics. I'm working as a venue producer for indoor volleyball. So getting to be an in-person producer and show caller for uh, all the indoor men's and women's volleyball competitions. I've been here for 15, 16 days so far, and I've got a couple more and I'll then fly back to Seattle this coming week. But yes, talking about when I was a kid, I wanted to be an athlete and my dream was always to compete at the Olympics. And then as I got older and my athletic endeavors kind of started to wind down, I kind of shifted that dream to then wanting to work at the Olympic Games. So I volunteered in 2018 in Pyeongchang in uh, South Korea with Team USA. Loved it. That's a great if you're an Olympic nerd and want to get over to an Olympics, you can always volunteer. You don't get paid, but they'll feed you while you're there. And then you meet other volunteers to stay with and nerd out about Olympics. But from that experience, I was like, I need to come back here and work because also as an event, like logistics production person, the Olympics, it is the Olympics of events, <laughs> like in the <laughs> sense that there are so many, you know, 40 plus sports all happening at different venues, all happening at the same time. And the teams and logistics and the people behind all of that, um, it's very magical. And I just wanted to be a part of it. So it's very surreal to be here. Very odd because we don't have fans and stands. So my job is normally to 
uh, entertain the fans in the stands with music and activities and videos and things like that. So uh, we've been really focused on the athlete experience and making sure they have a great time. But fun fact, if you're ever listening to any of the volleyball competitions this week, uh, anything that, like the music you hear, that is a DJ that is on my team that we're working with. And so we're kind of bringing that atmosphere, even if the fans aren't there. That is so cool. I, I've got so many questions for you about that. So I should just say, I'm sure we'll be doing a podcast episode all about Logan's debrief at the Olympics because it just sounds like, like you said, such a surreal and cool experience. And so, and it fits right into what we've already talked about, about you and how you came to be in events as well. So it just sounds like the perfect fit. So well, I guess we'll just dive a little bit deeper into that as well when it comes to you mentioned three things about you that we should know about you. The first one was sports. And so let's just dive deep into sports now. So how have sports played a part in your life? Yeah, I was always I was a forever athlete. I still want to say I'm an athlete now um, at the ripe old age of, you know, almost turning 30. So I I've always had an athletic passion. I did sports when I was a kid. My parents just kind of put me into anything and everything. They did very much of the, let's try all the sports and just see what sticks. And that kind of evolved into every season of the year. I always had a different sport. So I did ba- uh, soccer in the fall, basketball in the winter, summer, I did softball, and then that evolved into track. And then in the summer I swam. And as I got older and certain sports got more competitive, some of them were year round and things like that. But I was always, you know, the happiest when I was playing a sport and so when I went to was looking to go to college, I was looking to get recruited. And it turned out I threw javelin in high school because all the basketball girls threw javelin in the spring just to like have something to relax after a basketball season. That ended up being the sport that I could go to college for um, and got recruited for the University of Virginia to throw javelin and then hammer. And then my college experience was very much shaped by being a student athlete. So being a student, but also being able to compete. And that was one of the kind of shaped where I chose to go to school, which then shaped how I ended up going to China. So I've just seen kind of this common thread of sports kind of driving my life forward. And then as a professional, a lot of the skills that I think make me really good at events and in my roles that I'm in, I can kind of trace back to sports. So being a team player and being being very comfortable, you know, working as either just one piece of the puzzle or leading the whole thing, I think goes back to sports and just the ups and downs that come with live events because you can only can control what you can control and you can plan a lot. You can have a game plan, a run a show, a timeline, but in the actual day, like something's going to, you know, something's going to happen and it's all about how you react to it. And when things go wrong, you know, what's, what do you do next? And I think that's so much that resilience that I felt like I've built up and that comfort with being uncomfortable does really come from sports and I hate to say like from running sprints at a soccer practice or, you know, practicing free throws at a basketball practice or for throwing, having to mentally push through when you've hit a plateau where you're not throwing farther for weeks on end and having to work on your mental game to figure out what, you know, what's the the next move. I'm learning so much about you. I had no idea that that, <laughs> that you were involved in that or that was your journey, especially in college. It's very cool. Um, and coming from a child little mary was not at all involved in sports in any way so uh, the whole idea of what you're saying is just like blowing my mind and i love it and um 
I just think of the people I've known in my life who are involved in, who have been involved in sports growing up, and they are truly some of like the hardest workers I know. And so I think it's really cool that you were able to develop that mindset. And I think that same is true for you. Absolutely. I know that you're such a hard worker. And so it seems like that's played a big role in your life. So um, with that, what's your favorite sports memory that you've ever had? This one's really hard because I feel like there's a lot of positive memories I've had around sports. Um, I was very close with my high school basketball team. And so even though that feels like really long time ago, uh, I do, I am still connected with all the girls who graduated my class and just, we had to bond over several years of having different coaches, which, you know, kind of threw us a little bit into flux. And so having to come together as a team, that was definitely one of my favorites. And, um, I'll never forget my senior year. I won the lunch pail award, which I joked. I was like, is that because I like snacks? But uh, no, (laughs) the lunch pail award is meant to be for the hardest worker. So it's the person who brings their lunch to work and like keeps working. And uh, it was an interesting analogy my coach had. But um, I know I felt very honored for that. So it's not necessarily for like the MVP, but somebody who just kind of puts puts in work. My basketball career, I I will say, honestly, if I could have picked a sport to continue playing, it probably would have been basketball. But I, um, I'm six foot at heart. I'm only five nine. Uh, when I was a little kid, they told me I would grow up. They did that like height chart, and they were like, "She'll get to six or five eleven was what I was projected. And I was like, "If I drink a lot of milk and I stretch a lot, I think I could get to six foot. And I'm a post player in basketball, and I never got to six foot. So I'm big in heart, but in basketball land, I was a little too short to be a post player. so. <laughs> So I feel like I have to ask, since you are at the Olympics, working in the Olympics right now, so I want to ask, what's your favorite Olympic sport to watch out of all of them? For Let's let's narrow it down. Let's say for the Summer Olympics. My gosh. I will honestly watch anything. I, I will say the, the current sports that I have in my calendar to remind me to watch at the right time, even being in Japan in the time zone, um, is women's soccer, women's football. Love, love our women's soccer team. They are, again, I think the 99 World Cup was like the first memory I had of seeing just like women on TV playing sports and just having my mind blown. So I've always had a soft spot for the women's soccer team. And then I do like throwing. I'm a, I'm a nerd from throwing in college. Uh, it doesn't – Javelin and Hammer are two of the lesser known throwing events, I say. And so they don't get much of a highlight reel in the coverage in the U.S. So I'm going to be watching those. But I honestly love all of them. This year, there's been a lot of uh, mixed uh, mixed relays. So doing two men and two women uh, in a certain sport. Like there was a mixed um, relay for track. They did it for triathlon. Uh, I think there was judo last night. Like it's just really cool. They're always coming up with something something different. And then I always like gymnastics because I just think they're so death-defying with their moves and everything. But I could probably list every single sport because I get very excited about anything sports-related. That's awesome. I need to see some pictures of you throwing when you were not not even that much younger, I guess. But I want to see some photos. Send them my way. I'll send them. We can we can put them on the better events. Yeah, we can put them on the better events Instagram. I have them a little bit in my YouTube channel. I have like an about me video and I I include them in there. Some some intense photos of me throwing hammer and javelin. Love it. Okay, I'm excited to see those. Awesome. So you mentioned a little bit earlier, you kind of hinted at how you went from sports into events and how that happened. But can you dive more into that? So with events, how did you first get started in events? 
Yeah, I would say I had a similar, you and I have had similar journeys, I think, in the sense that maybe it was more obvious to others that we were going to be good at events than it was to us. Um, Like looking back, it now makes sense. But when I first started, I worked in digital marketing was what my first job out of college. And through that, I was doing like social media content capturing. And so I got to go to a lot of events and be taking photos and interacting. And I just kind of got to a point like doing that for a year or two that I started to realize I didn't really love the time spent behind my computer. And I really liked the part where I was, you know, people facing and I was at an event. And so I was like, maybe this is something I like to do. And I'd always volunteered at events and things like that, but never had wanted to be a part of the planning process. And so got in with some event planners. I was living in Shanghai at the time and just started shadowing and trying to get work and realized that events were kind of my jam. And I really enjoyed the whole process, you know, of being there day of, of being the problem solver. And so that was when I started, I decided to start my own company because I needed to then go freelance to be able to have space for some of these bigger events. And that was when I kind of put my sights on the Olympic games, wanting to work at the games, wanting to work at like Super Bowl big events that don't necessarily hire staff year round. So it's not like you're getting a full-time job at one of these places. So trying to build a business where I'm giving myself the space and the opportunity to get to go after some of these big sporting events. Yeah. And your business name is Logan Strategy Group. So can you talk more about how that came to be and what it means and the purpose behind it? This is one where I'm always jealous of of, of you, Mary, because I feel like I really like your company name of EP Events, you know, Events with a Purpose. Logan Strategy Group, or LSG, got founded. uh, I'm about to celebrate my five-year anniversary. So I've been in business for five years in October this year. And honestly, I picked a name that was super broad on purpose. You know, I I wanted to kind of have my name in there at some some way, either my first or last name. I didn't want to, I didn't know, honestly, at the time, if I really wanted to do events only, or if I still wanted to do kind of my content creation, social media management as well, and do both. And so when I made the decision to stop working full-time and start this company, I kind of wanted to give myself space to figure it out. And so I brainstormed a bunch of names. I wish I could find that old note on my phone where I just was like listing out a bunch of different ideas and workshopping them to friends. And it came down to, I wish I knew what the other one was. I got it down to like two. And it was like that or Logan Strategy Group. And I think what I liked about it was similar, like the strategy side of things. I don't, your events with a purpose, I think is such a good, strong message. Mine, again, it was like thinking strategically about whatever you're doing, whether it was events or at the time content management, just because I had found that same frustration of when a company is doing something that's not aligned or they're just doing it to do it. You can very quickly tell and working on it, I never enjoyed those projects because it felt like we were just going through the motions and, you know, what is the purpose behind what we're actually doing? So that was kind of the, I would say the reasoning for using strategy. And then I put group in there because when I first started my business, I was not very confident in the idea that I was a solo, you know, just a solo entrepreneur, just a single woman owned business. I did want to kind of showcase that I was more than just one person that over the years has evolved to, uh, if you look now, my branding is very much like all about me, but I can scale up and I've worked with you, Mary, and other event professionals to kind of, you know, I can scale up to a group of 10, 20 people, or I can just do it by myself. And so, yeah, that's kind of the the story behind Logan Strategy Group. I always joke that 
it's okay that people don't necessarily recognize Logan Strategy Group as long as they recognize me. A lot of my secret sauce, I feel like, from events is people like working with me, Logan. And so to me, it's I I don't matter. It doesn't matter to me if I'm branded Logan Strategy Group or if I'm just Logan as a member of a team or branded as my client. It's one of those that it's my like doing business name, but it's never been something that I I'm definitely not not obsessed with or or in need of needing to promote it. Yeah. I, well, I think that makes a lot of sense. And strategy is something that I can vouch for you. I know that you are very good at strategizing when it comes to events. So I feel like it's a perfect name. I like it. I'm here for it. Good choice. I'm, I'm curious what that second one was. So let us know if you remember. I'm <laughs> going to have to find it. It literally was like such a long, a long, there's a long list, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you got where you did. So um, what would you say now is one of your event pet peeves? Talked about this on the podcast before. Signage. <laughs> Signage. <laughs> it's an in-person event problem, but I would also say virtually it's pretty much the same. Um, and more like a no before you go email. But when I say signage, you can never have enough signage at an event. I've never been to an event as an attendee and gone, wow, way too many signs. If anything, I find organizers will like under create signage. And so what do I mean by signage? Like, where are the bathrooms? Where can I get food? Where's registration? And having those kind of like directional signs all over the venue. A lot of times when I've been working, we've had to then supplement the lack of signs with people, like having human signage as a person who stands there and goes, go this way, go this way. And is that a really, you know, a, a valuable job to have a friendly face to welcome people? Sure. But also it could have been solved with some well-placed signs because I think a common problem people face is they get really comfortable with their venue or their event concept. And they just think as an attendee, you're just going to know. And one of the cool things with virtual events has been because we can't go in person, you do have to improve your pre-event communication and like do those know before you go emails and set expectations of where to go, how to log in, all of those things that I think some in the before times people would just kind of take for granted and not realize how many issues it creates. Um, because if you can't find things in an event, that's a very easy way to lose attendees. They're just not interested or have a poor impression of your event. Yeah, absolutely. So that's my nerding I, out about signs. <laughs> it's great. It's a good reminder. Now every time I think of, I see like signage at an event or the lack thereof, I'm like, Logan, that always sticks out of my head. So good job. Um, Which right, one, then, one more pro tip, sorry, yeah. from signage is another thing to think about is like when your space is full, you're going to need different signs. Like people have created signs that are like up to your chest level. But if you are in a crowded cocktail hour, no one is going to see that sign versus a sign that's really high. Or we've seen all with the six feet, stay six feet apart on the ground. And that is one that I also will see that some people had enough signs, but did not think strategically about where to place them so that people could actually see where to go. And now I'll zip it on signs. <laughs> I love it. All about the signs. So you mentioned, so one of the, the third thing that we talked about, the three things that we should know about you is China. So tell us all about that. Um, and I believe you studied Chinese as well. So tell us how that began and how, what, what it led to. Yeah. I, so I always like to say that I studied Chinese by accident. Um, I get a lot of compliments. People are like, wow, so forward thinking. You studied Chinese in college. Like, I was like, nope, wish I could have said that I was purposeful. But, you know, universe works in mysterious ways. 
uh, University of Virginia, where I went to school, requires that you take two years of a language to graduate. And I'd taken German and Latin in high school. Didn't really care for either of them. I wanted to start a new language and I'd gotten really inspired that maybe I'd find a good professor in like Spanish or Italian or and I wanted some kind of like romantic language. And when I went to sign up for classes, I had a later sign up time in the day. And so a lot of classes were already full. And I also had a practice schedule with track and fields. So there were certain times like I just couldn't take classes. And so the only two options between those two scenarios were Chinese and Urdu. And 18-year-old Logan had no idea where they spoke Urdu. And I was not about to walk out of class signups and like say I'd signed up for a language that I couldn't tell you where they spoke it. So I picked Chinese. And I'd been reassured by my orientation leader who was helping me that, don't worry, you can switch into Spanish. We'll put you on a wait list like, or Italian. You'll get into it. I was even down for like sign language. So I remember walking out and my mom was had come with me and she was like, what did you sign up for? And I was like, I'm going to change out. I don't know, like Chinese for now. Uh, come first semester. And uh, there's no movement on the wait list for Spanish, Italian, or any of the other languages. So I took Chinese. And first semester was really rough. Second semester, also pretty rough. I just it wasn't sticking Chinese. There's a way to write it and a way to speak it. So I felt like I was kind of taking two languages instead of one. And so counterintuitively, I decided to study abroad in China because I had a really, I was the first athlete at Virginia to pass Chinese 101. And so to do the 102, the spring semester for athletics as a student athlete, you miss class to go to competitions. Like on Fridays, you might have to travel somewhere and it caused a lot of issues for me with the in the language department where that was just a challenge that they hadn't had to deal with of missing class for an athletic reason. And so their suggestion, and I realized I was like, yeah, I'll go study in China for a summer and I'll get a year of credit in eight weeks and I'll be done. When I get back from China, I will have fulfilled my two years of credits and I will never have to speak another language again. And that was a life-changing experience because it was the first time I'd left North America we also were required to take a language pledge. So we had to speak Chinese only, no English. So we had three days to speak English and then we had to only speak Chinese. And that was kind of the kick in the butt language wise that I needed to make my brain actually start to retain the Chinese. And it was the first time being in a foreign country where the language was a skill. It was needed. It was what I needed to get around to be in a taxi to order food. And I just saw the power of being able to connect with people through language that I never would have been able to connect with. And so when I came back from that, I was like, all right, I need to keep studying or I'm going to forget it all if I live in America. And then I went with a business class my junior year uh, to meet a bunch of different organizations in China, alumni, and everyone we met with was like, China is growing. This industry is growing. This one's exploding. Cars, manufacturing, a spice company we went with. Like Everyone was talking about how awesome China was. And so when I was looking to graduate, it kind of came down to my interests were dividing. I'd always wanted to work for ESPN, work in sports, but I also now had this interest in China. And I couldn't honestly have told you how they were going to come together. This was actually a stressor, a big stress point for me when I was graduating because I felt like I had friends whose interests were coming together and mine were going in like two opposite directions. But it ultimately came down to, I think I always would have wondered what if, if I didn't go to China. Like if I stayed in America, I had friends and other people who graduated ahead of me who'd gone to New York or DC and you know, I kind of saw the life they were having, which looked great. And I knew I would be happy. But I think I also always would have wondered what would have happened if I went to China. And so I decided to move there for what I told everybody would be a year. And I ended up staying there for five years. <laughs> that's crazy. Five years is a long time, too. So that's like a commitment. 
And so I have to know a couple questions. I want to know what your favorite part of living abroad was during that time, but also what was the favorite thing that you had to eat that you That's just like a- crave still? <laughs> well, let's let's talk about the food first because I have learned <laughs> that if if I like the food in a country, I usually have a very positive impression of the of the country. I'll leave being like this was the best country ever because I liked the food. And so China has some amazing amazing food. Uh, shout out if you are someone who is going to be traveling to China. I know we're in a weird time where travel's not really happening. I do have like an 11 page food guide to Shanghai <laughs> of restaurant recommendations, both Chinese and Western, and just all the places to eat. I used to be a food tour guide in Shanghai with Untour um, food tours. So I gave a Shanghai breakfast food tour on weekends and things just for fun. And I will have to say it was Shanghai breakfast food. So Jianbing is like a crepe, a savory crepe. Um, with an egg and then they put like a wonton cracker that's crunchy. So it's like savory, sweet, crunchy. You can add spice to it. It's so good. And this currently has been the longest I've ever gone without a Jianbing in the last like eight years because <laughs> I haven't been back oh, to China no. since before COVID. <laughs> so um, I, I just drool over pictures of of Jianbings. Get Logan a Jianbing ASAP. I know. There's some in Seattle I'm supposed – I've told that are really good, so I'm going to have to go check them out. But yeah, yeah. I haven't, haven't caved yet. Um, and then your other question about favorite part of living abroad, honestly, it has to be the people. I feel like you know, five years sounds like a really long time. I did give myself permission at any time to move back. I definitely had that privilege of being able to, to do that. And when I first moved, I bought a ticket that came home at Christmas. It was only six months, and a lot of my rationale was – Let's give it a shot for six months. If I absolutely hate it, like what's the worst thing that's going to happen is my pride. I'll have to come back and tell people, yep, I went to China. You know, it was only six months, but at least I can say I tried it. And so um, I think I loved both the opportunities that came from living abroad and then the people I got to meet. And the people are probably the reasons why, and the opportunities, a combo of those are probably the reasons why I stayed so long. And the people I met were both um, local Chinese as well as other international people who were just living in China. I became friends with people that in the U.S., honestly, I was like, our paths would never have crossed, but we bonded because we were foreigners working in China. And same with some of the people I've worked in in events. Um, They're just, you know, some very caring and positive and open people. And that's really where I learned that whole concept of community over competition, where we're better together, especially in events, but in any industry working together, um, your network is your value. And so if you know good people and can scale up and do different events, you know, that only makes you a better planner versus staying and being in your own bubble, I feel like only only hurts you because you can only do so much. Oh, that's so cool. I can just imagine you in China and all the experiences that you've had. So it makes sense how it's all come together. And I'm glad that it has for you. That's amazing. And um, so before we have some rapid fire questions, I'd love to do with you some fun questions. But before we do that, is there anything else that you feel like we left out that you want to share that everyone should know about you? I think I just want to put a nice bow on these three things of like sports events in China. I feel like I left part of the story was like sports in China were going in two different directions. But I did find this niche after starting my own company of clients that were from the US or from Europe who were trying to come to China and do events. And it ended up being a lot of sporting events was kind of my focus. Sports tours, meaning a team comes to China for a week and a half, two weeks, and they travel around China playing local teams. And then also working some nonprofit events. But I found this niche of where they needed someone who spoke Chinese, understood China, but also understood athlete expectations. Because when you're traveling as just a regular person, your needs are going to be different than someone who's an athlete. 
And it has was this very cool place that I found myself in before COVID of being that person that could help bridge that gap and working international basketball games. The Pac-12 always hosts a China game that I've been involved with, a couple international um, tennis tournaments that happen in China. And just realizing that like I can be excited about China, I can be excited about my role in the event, and I can also nerd out about sports because anytime I'm working, I like working corporate events and nonprofits. I've done a couple weddings. I, you know, there's all different ones that my skills apply to, but I will say when I'm working anything that's sports related, it doesn't feel like work. Like what I'm doing right now at the Olympics, I feel like pinch me. I'm I'm like getting to be at a volleyball competition, watching like the world's best volleyball athletes while working, but also being around sports. And so I think that's just something that I know I've been really excited about that it came together. I'd like to think I was intentional about it, but also it it very much I had I had several years there when I'd first graduated that I was really unsure about how everything was going to come together. So, it's been really cool and then now with COVID, we weren't able to travel or go to China and having to then shift all of that information that I know from sports production into virtual event production. And so it's been very interesting the last year and a half to do a lot of projects that have had nothing to do with China, which I, I love because it helps. I had a lot of clients I worked with in China that weren't calling me for US events. And I always joked if I could do it in Chinese, I'm a native English speaker, I could do your event in English. And my clients would always like smile and be like, yeah, Logan. And then you know, not not think of me when they were doing something based in the U.S. And I think the last year and a half, I've done a good job of having shifting that narrative. And now as things open back up, I'm excited to kind of re-involve my international sports that I was doing in events with what I've been doing in virtual production. Yeah, definitely. Oh, so cool. Well, I've enjoyed learning more about you personally. I mean, we've worked together and we obviously do this podcast. So sometimes I'm like, I feel like we know like a lot about each other, but there's still more to learn. Always. There's always layers. <laughs> yeah, layers and layers. So, okay, well, here's some rapid fire questions for you just for fun to kind of tie it off for us. So what is your favorite way to relax on the weekend? I love to read if I can slow down. And if I'm not in the mood for slowing down, I like to hang out with friends. I, I do recharge by being around other people. When are you most productive? Morning. Mm -hmm. I feel that. Yep. Who is your inspiration and why? That's a deep one. That is such a hard one. Again, I would come back. My brain goes to sports. I always like Mia Hamm forever is someone who I was obsessed with. Uh, Went to UNC. She went to UNC. I went to UNC soccer camp because I wanted to be like her. And we always got told the story where she was a uh, coach saw a player running out in the rain, running suicide sprints all by herself. And he got closer and he realized it was Mia Hamm and she was like the star player on the team. And here she was in awful weather, just kind of continuing to put in work. So I'd say she's one who inspires me. And then for fun, I also would say RuPaul. I love mm-hmm. some drag race and I think RuPaul's fabulous and unapologetically themselves. So that would be the other person. And okay, so what if you had to eat one thing for the rest of your life, only one thing, but it would sustain you, like, just assume it has all the nutrition you need. What would that one thing be? Oh, it has all the nutrition I need? Mac and cheese. Ooh, <laughs> like craft or like homemade? I'm if I Well, ideally, if I've eaten it for the rest of my life, I could kind of mix it up. But if I had to stick with one, it would be the Annie Shell's white cheddar mac and cheese. 
Oh, my mom is so sad that that I love Bauk's mac and cheese. She also makes a very <laughs> delicious homemade mac and cheese that I also love, a John Legend's mac and cheese recipe. But for whatever reason, nostalgia, Annie Shell's mac and cheese just hits the spot every time. Annie's is one step up from Kraft, so I'll take it. So one last question we'll wrap up these rapid fires with. You mentioned a bit about your hobbies. Um, you said you like to read, but what is your most favorite hobby that you would be so sad to be without? I would say playing sports. Again, that's a theme from earlier of sports. Uh, I joke I always am looking for my next athletic endeavor. Before COVID, I was actually training for to try out for the U.S. bobsled team because a lot of former track athletes do bobsled. So I went to bobsled driver school in January 2020 with the intention of continuing to train and waiting it in the winter. But uh, but yeah, so getting to do anything that's physical and running and moving my body. The most recent thing I did before I left for Tokyo was a trampoline exercise class. I've never had more fun. It was hilarious. It's like a little tiny child's trampoline and you bounce around to songs and do moves and things. And I definitely thought it was going to be like, we're just going to bounce around. Uh, no, it was very hard. But I also just laughed the entire time. The co- the trainer said I had great energy. And I said, is anyone angry when you're bouncing on a trampoline? I, I don't think you can be. You're giving me so many visuals today. That as well as the bobsled, that is blowing my mind right now. I want to encourage you to still live that dream. That sounds awesome. Um, okay. So just to wrap up today, we've learned so much about Logan today and the top three things that we should know about her. We've learned about sports, about events, about China and how they've all come together. So thanks so much for being in the hot seat today, Logan. And I'm going to pass it over to you for our bonus tip. Yeah. Thanks very no whew, Made it through. Um, my bonus tip for today will be about show calling. So if you're ever the person who's the show caller, the one calling the cues, the one making everything kind of happen on the production side of things, my tips for you would be to be concise, but also over-communicate. And so what do I mean by that? By be concise, if you are the one giving the cues, deciding ahead of time, ahead of your actual event, what, how you're going to say it, meaning will you say go? Will you say standby for different things? So standby to change music go or change music and deciding those kind of things with your team will help make sure that your day of runs really smooth. But I also find that it doesn't hurt to over communicate. So don't assume anything, having those conversations ahead of time or prepping your team during it. If we're running over on time, I'm a big fan of like time checks of like, Hey, 10 minutes until we do this five minutes until we do this two minutes. It just helps kind of keep everybody on the same page. So just Be concise, but don't be afraid to talk a lot, especially if you're the one show calling, producing, or even if you're just the event manager running the whole thing. Awesome. Love it. Okay. Well, thank you so much again for sharing all of everything about you today. And if you all are interested in learning more about Logan, we will make sure to put all of her links in the show notes of where you can find her, follow her, reach out to her. In addition, you can always reach out to us, the Better Events Pod on Instagram. Send us an email if you have any topic suggestions or questions. And thank you just so much again for listening. And we will be back with you next Wednesday. Thanks, everyone.